The opinions and ideas expressed in this roundtable discussion do not necessarily reflect the views of Transparent Media Truth, but only those of the speakers participating in the discussion. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode five of the Roundtable Discussions produced by Transparent Media Truth, featuring doctors Andrew Kaufman and Judy Mikovits, and hosted by documentary filmmaker Marcy Cravat of Passaland Pictures. My name is Doug McKenty, producer, editor, and MC of this week's discussion and host of the weekly interview podcast, The Shift with Doug McKenty. I would like to thank producer Rob Rubin for making this discussion possible and urge you all to find out more at transparentmediatruth.com. Before we get started, I would like to introduce our guests on the program. First, we are happy to bring Dr. Judy Mikovits onto the show. Dr. Mikovits recently rose to prominence as the subject of the controversial documentary Plandemic, in which she is highly critical of the pandemic response facilitated by the World Health Organization and implemented by many countries around the world. She holds a PhD in biochemistry and molecular biology from George Washington University, has published over 50 peer-reviewed studies throughout a 35-year career, which includes work at the National Cancer Institute as well as the Laboratory of Antiviral Drug Mechanisms where she developed diagnostics for AIDS-associated malignancies and resulted in the development of therapies in use to this day. While researching viral influences on those suffering from chronic fatigue syndrome, Dr. Mikovits discovered a correlation between CFS and the XMRV virus, which she feared was dispersed through the population through vaccine contamination. This controversial discovery has led to Mikovits achieving a whistleblower status as she continues to spread the word about her discovery and the dangers associated with the virus, publishing Plague in 2016 and the follow-up Plague of Corruption in April of this year. Go to plaguethebook.com for more information. Our second guest is Dr. Andrew Kaufman. Dr. Kaufman is a professor of psychiatry, molecular biologist, and expert witness with degrees from MIT, Duke University, and the Medical University of South Carolina. He currently provides medical consultations utilizing a method he calls Medicamentum Authentica, a system of authentic medicine which derives healing properties from the theory that disease is caused by toxicity and can be mitigated through detoxification and immune system tonification. His belief that toxins, not viruses, are the principal cause of disease has placed him in the controversial position of denying that any virus is the root cause of COVID-19 or any disease at all. Find out more at andrewkaufmanmd.com. Finally, our host today is documentary filmmaker and photographer Marcy Cravat. She has produced two award-winning environmental documentaries, Dirt Rich in 2018 and Angel Azul in 2014. Stay tuned for her third film, tentatively entitled Soul Intent. You can find her films and photography at PasalandPictures.com. Thanks again for listening to this fifth roundtable discussion produced by Transparent Media Truth, and I will hand it off to Marcy. Hope you enjoy. All right, Doug, thank you so much for the introduction and thanks to Rob Rubin again for bringing us all together. And I can't even begin to thank you all for joining us. What a wonderful group to have here. I feel honored to be having an open discussion with both of you, Dr. Michaelvitz and Dr. Kaufman. And if it would be easier to go by first name basis, is that okay with both of you? Oh yes, certainly. 
Okay, so Andy and Judy, it's just a pleasure to sit here with you. Uh, it's honestly, this is this is really great. <laughs> I'm tired there, Judy. <laughs> okay, um, given that these kind of discussions are so difficult to have out in the world, uh, this is really, I consider, a very invaluable opportunity for us to as truth seekers to try and make some sense of what's going on right now in our world, because obviously a lot of people are suffering and we're having a lot of challenges in our personal lives and all kinds of psychological issues. And there's just a lot going on here. I, I come to the table here with uh, an intent to seek truth. And I know that it might not always be the easiest thing, but I hope we can bring to our viewers today some new things to think about. So um, maybe we should just jump right in. Um, I thought it might be good to start off the conversation with the topic of exosomes. And I wondered um, if I could ask you, Judy, do you have in your experience as a virologist experience in knowing about exosomes or what did you think of them or how have you been exposed to that topic? Uh, yeah, considerable experience throughout my um, my 40-year career of working with viruses, um, uh, because um, while everything um, Andy said, Dr. Kaufman said about exosomes in the video he showed in March, um, uh, the YouTube he did in March, um, uh, is true. Um, we we actually work with um, James Hildreth a great deal, um, and we've done since our days of isolating HTLV1 and HIV. The the retroviruses. We've done an awful lot of um, retroviral and, and other viral isolations, and um, and the electron micrograph. So he his his talk, his description, everything of of RT PCR and why that's the wrong test for coronaviruses. Everything he was saying um, was absolutely correct. Uh, but um, viruses aren't exosomes. I mean, yes, viral RNA and RNA from other pathogens like Borrelia and things like that can be packaged and carried in exosomes, and they very much contribute to disease um, and disease causation. Everything that the presentation he did was um, really quite nice from that respect. So they very much contribute to disease. Our experience with, with exosomes is that in AIDS patients, in cancer patients, as he was talking about, um, the bronchitis alveolar lavage in lung cancer patients. Yes, cancer patients ab absolutely have a lot of um, exosome activity going on um, and AIDS patients as well. And what the problem with that is, is as these exosomes are packaging um, RNA from other uh, microbial agents, um, you know, and communicating those from the cytoplasm of cells and, and other things, um, as as he discussed, you know, the EMs were correct and those were exosomes and not um, not SARS coronavirus too. Um, but clearly, as as he said, you know, RNA is not virus, and um, and 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 that virus isn't packaged and and. and infection and disease caused that way. And that's why um, SARS-CoV-2 is clearly not the causative agent of, uh, of 
COVID-19 um, because it satisfies none of Koch's postulates or Hill's criteria for causation, that exosomes can contribute disease to disease and, and do contribute to disease in our experiences is also absolutely true. We worked with James Hildreth um, quite a number of years, probably twice in my career, but last with the XMRVs in, um, and, and the gamma retroviruses, mouse-related gamma retroviruses, we isolated from um, um, many patients with cancer and uh, chronic Lyme disease, MECFS, uh, things like that from in 2011 uh, through 13. So um, yeah, everything Andy said was correct. What's, what's not correct is that 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 doesn't encompass everything. So I saw on um, on the chats or on the things on the side of the YouTubes, oh, see, you know, viruses are exosomes. And that's not true. Viruses are by themselves infectious agents that package and can infect. Um, but again, if our viral RNA is injected and packaged into um, you know, into liposomes, which could be called exosomes, or in the spirochete, say, of Borrelia, um, uh, the, the Borrelia, spi the spirochete from the tick that has Borrelia in it also has 20 different pieces or of circular DNA. That could be considered an exosome, and, and, and RNA and, and, and DNA and nucleic acid can also package there from other microbes, and they can package other microbes and protect them from the immune system, protect them from degradation, um, but they're still part of a disease inflammatory process. Okay. Is the way okay. To think about them. Okay. So, Andy, did you want to jump in there and, and respond how you see fit? Um, yeah, sure. Um, so, um, I guess what... Uh, what my big question is, because you know I've never done uh, virus research, so it, it's kind of an honor to be with you, Judy, where you have all this experience at the bench um, and can, you know, know more in depth about uh, the procedures and details. But uh, after I was reviewing uh, several exosome papers and looking how they procedure where they isolate exosomes, like for example, there was one paper I recently looked at where they took it out of HIV positive uh, patient and they took it out of the blood. And they used various uh, different centrifugation techniques, and they were able to clearly purify directly from the blood uh, the exosome particles. And then they did several different assays to characterize uh, the composition chemically of, of the particles, and they were uniform, and, uh, and it was a very thorough uh, study. However, um, all of the virus papers that I've looked at, and you know, I focused mostly on the coronavirus papers, but I have read others, I've never seen a, a paper where they were able to directly, or they even attempted to directly isolate viral particles from uh, the body fluid or tissue sample of uh, an ill individual. And the way that they show isolation seems to uh, contradict the meaning of isolation because they mix it with a bunch of other things and they don't do any negative control experiments. Um, so. Is there, I mean, is it possible or has it been done where they actually purify a viral particle directly from a body fluid or a tissue? And then if they do that, they could extract the genetic material in, in one strand and, and do like micropore sequencing if it's RNA and, and actually establish the true sequence. I haven't seen this in any paper. Yeah, that's 
Yeah, Andy, that's absolutely true with, with the coronavirus. And that's what I was saying a minute ago. That's what's wrong with the work with the coronavirus SARS-CoV-2 from the patients with the disease. Um, as, as you said, you know, RNA is not virus. And as you showed clearly in the slides you made, those were exosomes um, and, and those are not viral particles that are isolated. That's clear from the electron micrographs on, on all of the work that we did where we, um, so our isolation, cent purification, centrifugation, and all that you're talking about right now um, was um, isolating HIV, uh, LAV, isolating the XMRVs, many strains, um, isolating the uh, uh, HTLV-1 particles, the causative retrovirus of um, uh, adult T-cell leukemia. Um, and, and yes, we did all of exactly that. And you can clearly see the difference in the electron micrographs. All of those electron micrographs were done at the National Cancer Institute by really a, a world's expert, Kunio Nagashima. And as you mentioned in your first talk, it, it takes um, quite a bit of experience to um, look at, um, you know, those uh, look at and, and say exactly, this is a gamma retrovirus because of exactly how the particle looks, the budding particle, and you can separate that even in the same electron micrograph from exosomes containing pieces and parts of other um, genetic material. And yes, if you don't isolate it and show the proteins and show the reagents and characterize what's in the particle, get the particles as pure as possible. But of course, viruses, uh, retroviruses and um, use the cellular machinery. So they bud from the cells, they take with them, they take with them the cholesterol, the phospholipids, the, the, the membrane particles, and then the, the gag proteins, the, the capsid proteins that are transcribed, the provirus becomes part of the nucleic acid sequence in the case of a retrovirus of the cell in the DNA and the cell machinery. So you're using 99% uh, cell parts and 8,000 kilobases uh, or 8,000 base pairs of the virus itself, which is packaged in all the proteins, but the proteins are, are cellular, you know, machinery. So you're you're going to see cellular debris, but the particles and, and the electron microscopy is very clear and you can see the difference. So I agree completely with you in the case of coronaviruses, they're not retroviruses. They don't integrate themselves um, into the DNA and then reverse transcribe their RNA back into DNA and insert themselves. And then every time the cellular machinery is made, they go from RNA again back to DNA and back insert themselves once they make the capsid, once they clip the prote of the uh, the protein that is, you know, that is expressed. So that's and um, with the proteolytic enzymes. And uh, again, so I've been asking as, as you have from the beginning of this to show me one piece of evidence. So in the case, I'll just say in the case of XMRBs, what we worked on with James Hildreth, um, that isolation, Kunio Nagashima did that electro, those electron micrographs. And we show in the various pictures in our publications in science and, and, and after the fact, um, and in textbooks from HIV, this is, 
you know, the 40 years worth of work since Frank and Bernie Poise isolated um, and, and characterized the first infectious disease causing retrovirus. So all of, all of that work has been done and, and you're exactly right. And we isolate it and then we show it can infect trans, um, it can infect secondary and tertiary. And you see the same viral protein and again, do that same isolation process, growing it continuously in a cell line um, and, and doing that again. And that's where you show secondary and tertiary transmission. And we did that in our October 8th 2009 science paper on the XMRVs. Now, and in, in LAB, we did it in 1983 and 84, and I directly isolated it from one of the original, if you will, grid gay-related infectious disease or AIDS patients um, there from Luc Montagnier's patient center. So I isolated it from saliva. So whole virus particles in the saliva, of course, there was cell, cell debris and stuff in there as well, but we did that those isolations and again, showed them to be infectious and transmissible, you know, filtered them and then showed them to transmit and infect other cells with the same receptors. Those are the kinds of experiments that you're exactly right, that that we've all been asking for and that should have been done in, 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 in so-called COVID-19. So I failed to see a single person, you know, died from a, a coronavirus with the spikes, with the bud, seeing in the autopsy, the virus, not RNA in an exosome. You're, you're exactly right. Yes, the, the RNA, RNA outside the cell, RNA not in the nucleus, you know, um, would be instantly degraded, RNA injected. So if you don't have it in exosomes that's budding um, out of or the coming from cells in that communication, the immune system will degrade it in a lot of a lot of different ways. So like you, there's no paper that you showed in your in your talk. I haven't seen anything where somebody did that isolation of this coronavirus, um, this novel so-called coronavirus and showed it to be infectious transmissible and caused a disease. So okay, so Judy, so that's that's like one of our main things that, that we just can't quite understand how the public has been so bamboozled. But Andy, I would like to get your response about that that whole um, body of, you know, process. Yeah, well, um, you know, I think uh, the, the way the public uh, got bamboozled is uh, very important to look at. And uh, so it sounds like, you know, Judy and I both agree that for this uh, alleged SARS-CoV-2 virus that they haven't really shown the virus and they certainly haven't shown any causal relationship to an illness. And actually, if you look at the papers in the conclusion section, you'll find that none of the authors uh, said as a result of this study, we find that this virus causes uh, this disease. They always said that, um, you know, there is a, a possible relationship, right, or a correlation or something like that. And then suddenly in one paper, in the introduction section, not the conclusion, right, they say uh, that this virus has been shown to cause this respiratory illness. And they even put a reference there. And I checked the reference, of course, and the reference didn't say anything of the of the sort. And so it's almost as if it was just made up out of thin air and mm -hmm. put there in this paper, right? And then it was carried forward like a rumor. And I've seen this happen in other areas of, uh, of, of medical publication as well. Like, uh, for example, in psychiatry, you can find dozens of articles that in the introduction section, it says that uh, the, you know, SSRI antidepressants have been, uh, you know, 
caused resulted in major advances in mental health care. But there's actually no evidence to support that whatsoever. Uh, if anything, rates of depression have, have risen since those drugs came on the market, right? So this rumor then gets perpetuated into public health agencies, into governments, into the mainstream media, and becomes a fact, right? I forget who quote who quoted this originally, but they say that the longer, you know, the more times you repeat a lie, it becomes truth. And I think that's what's happened in this case. But uh, in addition to there not being um, a virus that's shown to cause disease, there's also not evidence of excess mortality. So, you know, we don't see uh, a rise in the overall mortality around the world that would be the signal that would indicate there's a new disease in the first place. And, you know, that's monitored very carefully by a number of organizations, um, some governmental and, and some private. But we, we just haven't seen that. So what we have here is is like a uh, a public relations stunt to make it give the appearance. I mean, if this was coordinated, it certainly would be that. Um, but you know, I'm sure that there was a, a race and uh, among the scientists to you know find something to explain this because you know whoever might get the explanation would uh, definitely get a lot of notoriety and probably get. Uh, more easier publications and more grant funding, etc. So I'm not saying that like everyone is in on this, but it's coordinated at at some level to some degree to to make everything come out in a certain way. And many of the people involved at those levels of, you know, doing the research or working for the CDC or some other agency really don't know what's going on. They probably believe what most of the people believe about it. So the um the concept or do concepts of viral theory and germ theory factor into all of this is, you know, how are we going to discuss this? Because if we have the conversation uh, in coming from one place, um, that's assuming a lot. And I not say I'm not a scientist, so I'm not, I'm just asking questions. What if we were to broaden this discussion to what is a virus and and maybe maybe you'd like to start with that, Andy, and give us some sort of an idea about where you where you stand on all of this. Actually, actually, Marcy, I, I'd like to just make one point about what Andy sure. said because it's critically yeah, uh -huh. and and it really is the heart of all of this. Um, and that's it, if I can just um, let would you mind if I shared a screen? Sure. Because I just he said exactly. Um, what what is is the whole problem and it really doesn't get to you know what is a virus but um, and so here is the a key part of what what Andy just said and why why I call all of this you know a, a plague of corruption and it's been going on in the scientific industry a really long time so just at the bottom of this slide was our science paper what i just described to you detection of an infectious retrovirus and i say and because it was sequenced that material was sequenced the only other person who had described pieces of RNA. I'm sorry, I'll go back the other way. The only other person who described the sequences of RNA was years earlier in prostate cancer when they associated, you know, they did PCR and they did RT-PCR and they found the expression of two pieces, just the way we're talking in coronavirus of, of this XMRV. So they sequenced, they synthesized it. They didn't isolate it. 
They did. And, and this is why you're saying this is why it's so critically important what you're saying. So because I was working in prostate cancer and making drugs in prostate cancer based on um, the inflammation and inflammatory, the most aggressive prostate cancer have long been associated with infections, which makes sense according to the um, uh, physiology where the prostate is and such. And that's why what Marcy's talking about and the whole idea of is, is it the landscape? or is it the virus? You know, these arguments have been had for hundreds of years. But what I show you in this paper here is our actual publication and what we, the authors, said. We said, taken together, these data demonstrate the first direct isolation of infectious XMRV. And it's only one thing, because, but the data in the paper showed several strains and they were subtly different as not, not as, from the family or retros, from humans and implicate a role for XMRV infection in the pathogenesis of CFS. Did we say it caused it? Nope, hadn't satisfied any of Hill's criteria. Um, the paper did as an infectious retrovirus strongly associated because I think there were about 10 zeros in front of the 0 0.01 when we looked at the patients versus controls versus the healthy people. Did we find this retrovirus in healthy people? So that, and, and then of course, uh, a, six months later, Harvey Alter used a similar set of patients, but again, he only used the PCR method, the uh, PCR. Um, but again, he got the association there of, um, but they didn't look for infectious virus. They didn't do that work. They didn't do the EMs and, and things like that. So that's all I really wanted to share. But so the editors of the journal and throughout, you know, literally the destruction of, of my career um, was the editors of the journals and insiders and commentators going in there and saying, you can't say that you said an infectious retrovirus. So Harvey Alter didn't confirm you at all because he showed other strains of the same family and, and he didn't do that at all. So the, the editors of these journals, and you said it at the end when you say the scientists rush to do the work, um, you know, because they get grants, because it's, it's a passion to them, not necessarily for credit, but this is our lifelong work. Um, Shai Xing Lo here, since the early, the first author of the confirmatory study um, since the earliest days of HIV was trying to understand why women and children had um, evidence, the same kind of biological immune destruction, the same signatures of disease, the same kind of abnormal T-cell blood markers, the same kind of um, literally crippling disease, yet there was no evidence of HIV. And the reagents only supported HIV at the time. So here he had a box that he put in the freezer from 1999. That's with this little inset right here from 1991 through 94. He had a box in his freezer that said non-HIV AIDS because it wasn't gay man. There was no evidence of HIV there. And yet clinically it was indistinguishable. And that's why when we first started talking before we got on the air, I talk about chronic Lyme disease. And in our book, our original book, Plague, we showed the various disease associations and why we wrote the book, like the movie um, from Randy Stilts, The Band Played On. 
because you see the opportunistic infections, other things that are happening as we cripple parts of the immune system. And, and it's the government's, um, you know, and, and, the, and it is the government's. And this is why we say Tony Fauci. This is why we say the directors of the FDA, of the CDC, who, who have these opportunities, who follow these data and, and, and have followed these data for years. And so, the, the, you know, and, and they're twisting the interpretation by not only the lay public, but by the medical public and the scientists who aren't... Um, the virologist or the people who did the original papers. So when people coming from similar fields, um, you know, do the exact studies you mentioned. So it's it's the editors of the journals. It's the it's the science insiders who are telling other people. So there was a there was an article that accompanied our October eighth science paper, um, or you know, the, it was first published online October eighth, and I think around the twenty third in the journal. So that was John Coffin. And he wrote a little description about how mouse viruses get into humans and how this whole thing could happen. But he titled that paper, One New Virus, How Many Old um, Diseases? And what the, the data between 11 9 and 11, when our paper was published, was the blood supply was heavily contaminated. It had probably been contaminated with both HIVs and XMRVs and who knows what else for, for decades as people got sicker and sicker. And the only thing we isolated back in the 80s and called the causative agent was HIV. And so then, you know, all of that for 20 years, women and children were still getting sick as the blood supply was still contaminated. Shai Xing Lo had this box. He went back to it and it was 86% positive. And in that particular center and cohort of people, it was in the San Francisco area, the blood supply was up to 8 to 10% you know, contaminated. So the data towards the end of 11, when they decided to um, force the authors to destroy the data, this is what the CDC did to William Thompson, forced the authors to withdraw the paper, which is what they did to Harvey Alter. And the only reason he withdrew it is because he didn't have enough samples in that box to do it again. He had done it dozens of times and used those as his standard. What you said, where is that control that you're comparing it against? Yeah, we had those things. Um, and the government, for, you know, forced us to retract the paper, um, 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 not because we couldn't do it again, but because the, the damage in trillions of dollars of 30 years of saying HIV cause AIDS perpetrating the same kind of fraud they're perpetrating right now in COVID-19. SARS-CoV-2 doesn't cause COVID-19 and the government at worldwide, governments worldwide are, um, you know, are, are, have, you know, destroyed, I don't even know how many millions of people they will end up killing with the measures of, of that they've taken. The, the, so, the so, Judy, so Judy, um, I, this, we want to get into that too. But, we want to make sure we say- want to go back to what is a virus. Because this this doesn't this gets you right where they want you sitting around trying to decide is it a virus or isn't it a virus rather than that it's the media and the governments and the journals telling you all this just like Andy just said so the paper that they referenced didn't say that at all 
Our paper didn't say that at all. And yet they said there's no evidence of XMRE. Sure there is. And yeah, they're associated with those diseases, but everybody you call tired doesn't have CFS. So clearly this coronavirus, there's no question a virus exists. Does it have anything to do with the disease they've destroyed the world over? Very little, if anything. And that's what Andy's saying. But it's the journals. It's the newspapers. It's the, you know, is it the landscape or is it the virus? And, and it's always been the landscape when the science is done 20 years later. But what we're trying to do today is educate people to understand that that the, this is this is a political, you know, and it has been. It's it was Zika, it was Ebola, it was H1N1. And what and are what are you thinking is the goal here? Is this a what 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 is the reason they keep doing this to us? The goal is to drive vaccine agendas where you have no liability, where you have um, no cost of advertising, to drive drugs, you know, um, you know, to treat the diseases that are being caused by the toxins Andy showed on his slides, the aluminum, the heavy metals. It's to drive the vaccine agenda and scare us all into thinking the next pathogen is, is going to kill us. And these things go through the air, which is decidedly not true. Um, and, and again, and, and, and drive the research away from all of it. And, okay. and and simply okay. change everything. Okay, so Andy, what? How do you respond? That's a lot to respond to. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, I, I the same thing in different ways. Yeah, yeah, I, I can see a lot of that's true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I want to uh, just um, add to what uh, Judy was just saying because um, it it is the the thing about being afraid of some new pathogen, right? That is going to come from the outside and invade our body and make us sick and new one could arise at any time. It'd be unpredictable, right? And it could be completely devastating. And, and they have primed us with all of these kind of fake epidemics and fake pandemics leading up that uh, you know have occurred about every four years. I remember when the Zika uh, scare came out and um, it, you know it was quite interesting uh, once I started to look at it because they made it sound very scary. It's caused this horrible birth defects where, you know, babies are born with uh, no brain or a very small head. Um, and, uh, you know, it, you look at images of that, it's horrific. I remember seeing those in medical school. And once I started looking into the, the data, I saw that it, it just didn't make sense. For example, there were more um, uh, of the cases in Colombia, but no, no birth defects. And then I looked at the number of cases of anencephaly in the United States compared to Brazil, and it seemed that we had a higher rate even during the Zika, and we had no Zika. So I'm like, this doesn't make sense. And then I went on the CDC website to see what they said, because, you know, earlier in my career, I had really trusted them as a source of information, especially for, uh, you know, infectious uh, diseases. And they had this paper that was, it was like 15 pages long, and it didn't present any data. And I'm like, what is an epidemiologic uh, organization doing writing a paper with no data in it? It was just, I was totally flummoxed. And they made these circular arguments trying to use some kind of weird uh, backwards reasoning to prove that this thing existed and was a threat, right? And then they had uh, all kinds of policies, like in Florida, they, they sprayed um, 
you know, some kind of uh, really toxic pesticide that had uh, lots of collateral damage and they sprayed it all over the state and they just jumped the gun, you know, to do this kind of thing. And I think somebody made like quite a bit of money. I think it might have been the, the governor's relative who owned the company that got the contract to do the spraying, right? So you see all this evidence of these sort of inside jobs and this way to use the scare of a new epidemic or pandemic in order to achieve something, right? It's kind of like the same Hegelian dialectic uh, formula, problem, reaction, solution, right? The problem is a new uh, epidemic or pandemic from a scary infectious disease. And, you know, the reaction is fear. And then the solution is pre-planned. So is it a massive spraying campaign? Right? Is it to release, uh, you know, robot bees or uh, mosquitoes or genetically modified mosquitoes? Right? Wasn't that uh, um, uh, Clinton's daughter's uh, project that she had a company doing that? Right? And in this case, right, clearly the the solution here is to take away our rights and exert more control over society to uh, crash the financial system and reset it in a way that that uh, probably the government can have more control over our individual finances, like through a universal basic income, right? So this is a very powerful tool. And it's really, it's all built on the germ theory paradigm, right? Which kind of goes to a warfare model. And uh, much of the business model of the medical establishment is also based upon this, that because it's an outside agent that invades you and there's nothing you can do about it, right? You can't get it out. It's not something you put in your body, uh, maybe unknowingly or purposefully like a toxin, uh, that you could simply change your behavior and resolve the disease, right? Which is what, what's really going on with all these illnesses. Um, but instead, it's something that you need help from an outside agency to control, right? And where do you go? Of course, you go to the white coat wearing a spellcaster at your local clinic or hospital, and they give you a magic potion, right, which is really a toxic pharmaceutical medication that's that may uh, have the appearance of working in the short term, but most likely it's going to cause more damage. And if we're talking about a virus, we know that antiviral medications are extremely toxic, right? And we all know what happened with AZT when they started giving it to the first AIDS patients that uh, made them sicker and increased the mortality early on. So this is really, you know, it's just a great scheme and it's been extremely profitable and it's been a tool that has been very successfully used uh, to control people and bring about a certain response. And they're taking it to the ultimate level with this pandemic. I mean, it seems like there's no going back to what life was like before as a result of this thing that hasn't killed anyone and has never been shown to cause any illness. Right. So the, the, the thing that's so frustrating is trying to have these conversations in a public arena where the public is so convinced that there's this outside thing that's going to come get us and they're so conditioned to believing that they have no power and they're running for these solutions, yet they're not looking at the things that really make us sick. And those things that are making us sick are in full-blown motion right now. We see full-blown chemtrailing, 5G going in. Our GMO food system is just out of control, the vaccine program. So how is it that we, first of all, I'd like to ask the question, there are some really simple solutions to putting a lot of these babies to bed. For example, if you, I think we might've talked about this before in a past one of these roundtables, but if you want to, know if a, tra a plane is chemtrailing, 
Why don't you just pull the air filter out of the plane when the plane lands? Why aren't there lawyers demanding that evidence in court? If you want to know if this virus is causing this disease, why don't you just do Koch's postulates? I mean, why is the public not demanding answers that would expose everything and expose what this is? Who knows what this is? Maybe this is AI for all we know. Maybe there's something going into us right now via the air, via whatever they may have, may or may not have released, who knows, that's going to interface later with 5G. And then it's going to detonate or it's going to, uh, you know, what about that? Why is the public not looking at the obvious things here that are really, really, truly killing us? Yeah, uh, if, I, if it's all right, if I uh, speak to that, you know, Marcy, I think it's uh, it's a complicated issue, but essentially, like, this is a multi-generational long-term plan, right, to uh, basically condition people so that they do not question authority and uh, don't become aware. And even though the information is actually right out there, like let me give the example of fluoride in the water. So when fluoride was, uh, you know, originally used as like a poison for rodents and it was a byproduct of aluminum mining and it was actually quite expensive for the aluminum companies to dispose of it, they had to pay for it. And so they made like some kind of partnership with the American Dental Association and made, you know, ran a couple of bogus studies to show that it may, uh, you know, improve uh, dental decay. And it actually topical fluoride can have an effect on that, but it's not how you think. Um, but they basically use this to justify putting it in the water, which is not applying it to the teeth. It's applying it to your whole body. Right. right. And they so they started this practice and they somehow convinced uh, municipalities to actually buy this fluoride to mix in their municipal water supplies and send out to the people. And somehow people accepted this. But but down the road a bit. Right. And I think it was 2001. The CDC put out a press release saying not to use fluoridated water to mix with infant formula because it was a neurotoxin. Right. They put this out all over the media. Now, I don't know how well it was covered because I saw this after the fact, but nonetheless. So here you have a situation right where your own government, the, the authority that told you that fluoride was helpful for your teeth is now telling you it's neurotoxic to babies. Don't even give it to them. So wouldn't that uh, reason uh, follow that it's also neurotoxic to everyone else? right? Which it clearly is. There's lots of studies on that. So they put this information out there, but don't, don't really hype it up or sensationalize it. And then people basically ignore it, even though it's publicly available, right? So this is really uh, the way things go. Right now, people are not looking for information. They're, they're just turning on the TV news and taking in whatever they say right? Like in a very passive way and just believing it. They're not actively investigating anything. And we don't really have a culture of inquisitiveness and of research, right? We, our school system, our compulsory schooling system is built around spoon feeding information to our children in order to teach them, right? We don't expect them to actually find the information and put it together and synthesize it and, and understand it and then, you know, come together maybe in some kind of Socratic model where we can have a back and forth and get to the bottom of it, right? So this critical thinking is just not really taught 
in, in fact, in my own educational experience, the first time that I really got exposed to this was uh, at MIT. And, you know, I can, we can criticize MIT in many ways for the things they're doing, like working with Bill Gates. But nonetheless, they have a model where they basically, they give you a little bit of information and then they're like, okay, go figure out what it means and how to apply it and solve these problems that are impossible to solve. And at first, you know, you're like, <laughs> you feel like you're never going to be able to do it. But, but as you throw yourself in and start just thinking critically and experimenting, going back and forth and going to the library and the internet, you know, you start to actually learn how to think critically for yourself. And that's the, the skill that we're missing in our culture. We need to um, reignite that type of learning in order that people would be able to overcome these manipulative narratives that are quite sophisticated. I mean, the people who have come up with this have studied human psychology for eons. And, uh, it, you know, it's very, very difficult. I don't know how some of us were really able to get out of this matrix way of thinking and really be able to look at some of these things critically. Well, so an argument that I hear all the time whenever I try to bring any of this up is, how can you say that there's no, uh, this is not causing that when the people aren't, you know, when we're staying home and we're keeping the numbers down? And I'm like, no, you're not getting it. They've just reassigned the numbers and they said, well, how do you know? that you're not actually preventing a lot of disease because you're not letting people out. How, how they, the, then it, the onus goes on my shoulders and they prove to me that you, that keeping people home hasn't been the reason why we've kept the numbers down. And this worries me because all of this other poison stuff's going on, like the 5G and all the stuff that we're talking about. And when they release these restrictions on staying home, where a lot of people believe it's doing them good, they're going to go back out into the world and they're going to mutate that virus, which means the 5G is going to activate whatever's in us and they're going to claim it was a mutation and see, we shouldn't have let you out of your houses again, when in fact it's the toxins that are killing us and it was all along. Right. You see, I don't understand how to have this conversation. What do you say to a person who says the numbers are down because we've been staying home? What do you say? They say that's the reason why the mortality rates have, haven't gone up. And then I say, well, they've gone up. They haven't gone up because they've just been reassigned. You don't see anybody dying of the regular old flu anymore. Yeah. Um, so what's going on here? I, how do you respond to a person like that? Yeah, it's, it's very difficult because you really have to I mean, there's so much uh, sophistication in the way that they are uh, telling this narrative, right? That you really need to do some like detective work to overcome it. But if you look at, for example, the policy from the public health agencies about how to fill out death certificates, and you look at the all-cause mortality, and you look at the fact that they're laying off healthcare workers and that hospitals are empty, then you can see that actually there's really zero uh, new deaths. Right. So they're just relabeling the other deaths. Um, and some places are even inflating the numbers uh, even beyond that, uh, almost as if they're making it up. Like I looked at uh, this morning, the Johns Hopkins website and the CDC website, and there was a 25 percent discrepancy in the reported number of covid related deaths. Now, how could there be such a big discrepancy between two institutions of the same nation with uh you know, that routinely collaborate and have a lot of personnel in common, and they're only a couple of states away from each other, right? So there's, there, there's just a lot of fudging and um, inaccuracy 
going on in this, right? And so you, in order to see through this, you really have to look at uh, you know, other supporting evidence like laying off healthcare workers. Now, how could we be in a healthcare emergency if they're laying off healthcare workers? It would be the opposite. It would be that like I got um, like an emergency text message type of thing, you know, one of those alert messages, right? Because being a licensed physician, and this was back in March, I think this happened two times, like a couple of weeks apart. And they basically said, if you're willing to volunteer to help with the pandemic situation, even if you are retired, you let your license expire, they're basically saying, we'll give you privileges to come back and work if you're you know, a doctor, a nurse, a pharmacist, uh, and you know, respiratory therapist, et cetera. And so, so they did this for show. Because then a few weeks later, they're laying off healthcare workers all around the country and, and, and around the world, in fact. Uh, I know that in some European countries, they've had the same deal. So how could they be laying off healthcare workers? I mean, just that fact alone should raise suspicion if you know about it. And, and it has been covered in some of the mainstream media, but it's just been sort of passed over. It's been mentioned to then move on you know, to the computer model or... Uh, you know, show a picture of someone really sick or a really busy, you know, ICU. Mm -hmm. But then, then there's one other thing that's been happening that, because I think actually that we should be having less mortality because there's so much less hospital care. And we know that medical errors are one of the leading causes of death, even according to Johns Hopkins himself, right? 250,000 uh, deaths a year from medical errors. So if we're having so many fewer people in the hospital, we should actually have less deaths than we have. But I think what's happening is that anybody that's being labeled as a COVID, there, there are really two separate issues. One is that they there's some strong evidence that they're neglecting those patients, right? They're probably afraid of them. They're not doing codes. They're doing things like a slow code, which is like you know, an informal operation in the hospital where someone you know that they're not going to come back from a code that you kind of like take your time getting there. But they're doing this for COVID patients, even if they are not, uh, you know, so direly ill, because uh, maybe they're afraid of getting infected. But they've also changed all of the protocols for breathing support. And, you know, breathing is one of the most basic uh, procedures that you have to address with any patient, right? There's, uh, as Dr. Bittar mentioned, the ABCs, airway, breathing, and circulation. And um, those are the first things to address whenever, you, when, whenever you're working with someone who's acutely ill. And they've skipped all of the preliminary steps to support breathing and oxy oxygenation and go right to the ventilator. And we know this is motivated mainly by the financial incentives of earning three times as much money uh, based on Medicare reimbursement uh, for using a ventilator. But also it's because the ventilator is a closed system and they're worried about you know, the possible uh, respiratory contagion you know, through the airborne contagion. So they skip all these steps. But as a result of that, they're actually causing a lots of morbidity and mortality. The ventilators are not a friendly uh, procedure to use. And besides that, I've heard that most of these patients are awake and alert and even comfortable. They're not even in respiratory distress. So you basically have to uh, provide general anesthesia in order to even put them on the ventilator because they'll be fighting against their chest being automatically inflated. So you have putting them on general anesthesia increases the risk for, for mortality and morbidity, things like blood clots, pulmonary embolism, which we've seen in a lot of autopsy reports, 
right? And then you get ventilator lung injury. So I wonder if there's actually more people dying of those hospital procedures now uh, that's counteracting the reduction in general hospital deaths because all the other people with non-COVID-related illnesses are outside of the hospital. So if and the if the if the people that are dying of other things, like let's say they're dying from kidney failure or congestive heart failure or something like that, are those numbers going to go down because they've been robbed by the COVID diagnosis? So like over time, are we going to say, wow? 2020, we sure had a lot less heart disease because there was something like a two thirds drop in cardiovascular deaths, um, which was, you know, which was the, uh, I believe the second leading cause of death, uh, you know, according to the CDC, uh, which they didn't count medical errors in their, in their equations. But, um, but yeah, so there, I mean, a two thirds reduction in cardiovascular disease. Well, how did that happen? How did that happen when people can't, you know, go get surgical procedures and catheterizations because the hospital is not doing those, right? Yet we have a major reduction. So obviously it's just a relabeling trick, right? But it's, but it's difficult to find, you know, find this information out. You have to actually look because they're not, they're not reporting this on NBC. Well, not only that, but Judy, you're going to love, you know, how my neighbors speak about Fauci. I mean, you know, sweet old grandpa and, I don't know how you're coping with uh, the way your information is being responded to, Judy. How are you doing? How are you doing with all that? I mean, so many of the I'm, what I'm talking about is there's this great big debunking campaign, and it's infuriating to see because you're not being heard by people that are not willing to go out of their box to think about anything that comes off of their box in their living room. So how are you, how are you dealing with this? It, it actually is. It, it's fine with me because Marcy, we are being heard because people like you were talking because people like Andy are talking, we're talking three and four times a day and, and yeah. the books are out there for people to read. Um, so plague of corruption talks about the corruption and, and that happened well after anything happened to me scientifically, but so many. And then the first book is now on the bestseller list because people are going back and the first, First book, Plague, is a lot more difficult to read, um, but people like Andy read it and scientists read it and other doctors and they scratch their head and it says the same thing. Yeah, well, uh, you know, Robert Redfield stood on TV last week, head of the CDC, um, who perpetrated a lot of these fraudulent studies about vaccines and AIDS, which killed a lot of people and did nothing. And he stood there and said, see, we have no influenza this year. We have no flu because we kept everybody at home. Well, you know, and it just went away. Well, no, you didn't, you didn't look for anything but coronavirus. You know, you didn't do anything but look for coronavirus by PCR, which is the wrong test. And as Andy said, 80% contaminated all of that in his talk last in, in, in March. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm just fine because I'm, I, I was at a room full of people, um, maybe 300 people in Ramona at a main stage, a, a, a theater, which tables everywhere, not one single mask, maybe one walked in, but after we talked about the mask, and, and what it does and doesn't do from other doctors, not me saying it. So people are hearing you, people are saying it, and they're censoring it so fast, they're just making more and more people wake up. And just as Andy said a little while ago, oh, Tony Fauci never used one piece of data. You know, show me the 
data. We'll show you the data and show me the data. And their data, when people ask for the data, they're realizing, well, wait a minute. Yeah, you said that yourself. And now they're starting to change around. So, um, you know, he wrote the paper that said, oh, this is this this coronavirus is less than a normal influenza season as far as danger. And all the data have borne that out. And all the data bore out that it's not a causative agent of uh, of the causative agent of of COVID-19. And as Andy just said, I would say it's not even very well associated with COVID-19. This is a political thing to keep us, to drive us towards vaccines. But what he said in the next sentence is, get the vaccine. So what do you guys both know about these vaccines? Could you just describe what they're going to be or what you think they might? It's it's not the COVID vaccine. So, but I will do, I do will do that. What's most important about Robert Redfield is he said, go get the flu shot, Mm. you know, and if you get the flu shot and you wear the mask and you suppress your CD4 and your memory responses, Dr. Blaylock put out a beautiful paper with references a, a few weeks ago. Um, again, other doctors saying this. So you go get your flu shot loaded with not only influenza, the three strains of influenza viruses, but avian leukosis virus, a little bird, um, tear apart your white blood cell leukosis virus. Um, um, and, 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 and several retroviruses in every flu shot. Mercury in the multi-dose flu shots you get down at the drugstore. So you're actually spreading influenza the flu, and they're going. You're going to get a fever because that's what a vaccine does: is it, it raises those inflammatory cytokines. That's its job. Um, you've got all that other garbage in there that that is never tested. The cellular, you know, just um, you know, the vaccines driving these these. Um, pandemics, which which Andy described very well in Zika, you know, wasn't the virus at all. It's the vaccines driving the pandemics. That's what we said in the movie Plandemic. And the data still say that. So what you, what we can do as an audience and what you're doing for people, um, for, as the people ask me, is put take off your mask, stop social distancing. You're just... But Judy, how do you do that? You've got, I mean, well, you we go to the grocery on Saturday. We well, did. what about the grocery store? I mean, they won't even let you in. Yeah, we have have looking for it right now, but we have a tag that we made up and we handed out at the Ramona main stage that said, you can't ask me, um, I'm 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 getting it from my husband who has COPD, so you can't make me wear a mask, it's dangerous for for me. um, I have a medical condition and it poses a health risk and you can't ask me why. And we, we handed those out on the way into the Ramona main stage. And, and you put that here and it's against the American Disabilities Act and your privacy laws. You, and this is what HIV victims, this is what AIDS patients gained us from that plague of corruption, they, what they did 40 years ago. So they got us rights. And we as a people need to take those rights and say, no, a mask is dangerous to me. I One of the reasons I was yawning a little while ago is at five o'clock this morning I had to go over to my west coast mom's house she's about a half mile from here she's an 86 year old woman and she couldn't breathe 
And she, and I was like, oh man. And so, and, and she come to tell me, and I, I'm taking over my eucalyptus and, and some cordyceps mushrooms to open up her airway, see what's going on. Well, she went to the bank and they forced her to wear a mask until the point where she got dizzy because she couldn't get enough oxygen because she's an 86 year old woman, not with COPD, but with some other things going on. She's on steroids for inflammatory pain. So she's immune suppressed anyway. So she's the worst at further immune suppressing herself and not breathing oxygen through that mask. But she's stubborn. She wouldn't take my little piece of paper. So I scolded her for a little while before, you know, she's already breathing better with a little eucalyptus. So when so we handed these out in the remoter main stage, we had 300 people sitting there just as a week earlier we had a hundred people at a pool party the police left us alone um the they already told us they would and we simply answered questions from the people um you know nobody will get sick nobody needs to be quarantined the next day we went to church you know and and once people realized hey we're all out there and nobody's getting sick but the most important thing we have to do when we go back out there and take our rights back and, and heal ourselves by eating clean food and no glyphosate, you know, everything, you know, the 5G, everything that you're talking about um, is, is, is simply don't allow them to scare you into taking a flu shot. Forget the Corona shot because then they will contact trace you. Then you will come up with a fever. Then you will come up with, oh, you're covid because that's what they did in the first place most things were probably another cause of an upper respiratory infection but they only tested for one thing using the wrong test and simply did all that false diagnosis of anybody that went near a hospital and yes the cancer patients you know um cancer survivors, um, all of them. Every year we do in vaccine court, dozens of cases. We, Dr. Rossetti and I served until recently, till they kicked us out um, as expert witnesses. People die of those flu shots. And it's the flu shots driving these diseases or a different, you know, the, the Zika was driven, as he mentioned, by mosquitoes, as Andy mentioned, by mosquitoes being released. And then they did a DTP vaccination area uh, program in that area of, of Brazil, you know, and, and that's when they showed the picture. So if we could get people to say, fine, just go out and live your life. But if, but if you go out and you live your life in fear and, and you eat, you know, you, um, Eat, eat GMO and, and you uh, and you it, most importantly wear the mask or take the flu vaccine, then they will have an excuse to call it, um, you know, COVID um, 20 when it resurges in the fall. Yeah, that's what I that's what I was getting at. So I'm concerned about this. That. Two yes, but you've also got you've also got to talk detox out these metals or you're going to be a receiver for that 5G going on and it's like Again, we that's not going to be the the depth and the breadth of it is because the metals are in the shots the i mean if you saw the Gotti paper from 2017 there's arsenic the needle alone there's all kinds of garbage chromium in those shots so no, that i know that detonate switches the 5g but if you don't Put it in there and you can keep your immune system from being inflamed so that the 5G is not throwing gasoline on a fire. Right. You know, but what about what you're inhaling? 
Yeah. Well, I mean, they haven't been spraying here in California lately. So they, you're not inhaling virus. You're not inhaling RNA. The mask will immune suppressed and you'll keep the molds. Sure. We got to keep the mycoplasma down. We got to keep the mold down. We got to, you know, here in California, that's an issue, but that's why you go out in the sunshine and get good vitamin D and eat good, clean um, food and try to keep every other source of inflammation out of your life. So I see this as a golden opportunity of us being able to realize we don't need that third leading cause of death being iatrogenic medical mistakes. We've we've gone in. It's been 40 years that we just march like lemmings for the flu shot. You know, and my identical twin said a few years ago, out come the pumpkins, out come the flu shot. This is a hallmark season. If you've ever had the flu or you've ever had, you're driving these diseases as you shed it. And if you're an old person, they give you four times as much and you're shedding four times more and you're compromising your own immune system and the Borrelia, the, the, the mold, the mycoplasma, everything, the antibiotics, everything else that is in that needle from those animal tissues they're growing, these live attenuated flu vaccines in is, is driving every year. Um, the, the, the so could we say the same thing? And maybe Andy, you would like to respond because uh, I know you know, have talked to me a little bit about these pharmaceuticals that people are given, the antivirals, for example, being extremely dangerous or ACT for AIDS patients, or, you know, what are these drugs? You get into this medical loop and you start with their testing and their solutions and you're stuck there, you know, and these psychiatric drugs, man, are those things, you know, these kids that try to get off of these, these psychiatric drugs, they have one hell of a time getting off of these drugs. So Andy, what do you think about the, the, the things that are killing us. Maybe you could talk about the pharmaceuticals that are killing us, the metals that are killing us, the um, electromagnetic fields that are killing us. Maybe you can go through just a little bit of a, you know. Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to. And, you know, so one thing that makes it really challenging is in terms of the iatrogenic deaths. And I think those are really the most substantial um, it's because, and, and probably it's actually the leading cause of death, but it's very challenging to find the number because they don't do any epidemiologic surveillance on medically caused death. So you have to put together some piecemeal studies and there are different ways to do it. So like the most conservative way I feel is kind of related to what Judy mentioned about the third leading cause of death. And it's basically combining the Johns Hopkins study on medical errors with 250,000 deaths a year with an article from the Journal of the American Medical Association on deaths due to pharmaceuticals taken as directed. So not like purposeful overdoses. And that was 128,000, I believe. So, so that, that brings it up to like 378,000, which puts it as the third leading cause of death. But that does not include vaccine related deaths and it doesn't include chemotherapy related deaths, and it doesn't include several other things. So I've seen some estimates taking all those things into account that puts the number up at about a million deaths a year, mm -hmm. uh, which is quite incredible. And that would definitely be the leading cause of death beyond uh, cancer and heart disease. Yeah, talk so, about a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's, so that's the biggest thing. But we are basically, you know, every moment that we are existing, even right now, all of us, no matter where we are, we're being exposed to all kinds of toxic chemicals. So, you know, indoor air pollution is actually quite a big thing that you may not realize. And it's not just, you know, 
mold spores and dust mites, but it's off gassing of all the synthetic building materials or other kinds of products that you have in your home and machinery in your home. It's all of the electromagnetic radiation from Wi-Fi routers and smart meters and dirty electricity and LED appliances and LED light bulbs. Uh, and all these things. And then you have the outdoor air pollution where you have all kinds of industrial uh, pollutants, um, you know, from byproducts from uh, fact manufacturing facilities and factories. Um, so, you know, we can, in other words, go quite deep without even getting into geoengineering as a contributing factor. So basically like, and then we have the food supply and, you know, of course, eating regular GMO type foods, you're just getting inundated with things like glyphosate and atrazine, uh, right? Endocrine disrupting chemicals, um, you know, from farmed fish, you're getting uh, mercury, you're getting possibly radioactivity from eating things in the Pacific Ocean, right? So this is it's pervasive and even USDA organic is not really fully free of these chemicals because they allow them to use some chemicals, like for example, pyrethrin, they can use because it's derived from chrysanthemums, even though it's a known uh, neurotoxin. And also there have been studies even from the USDA where they find that they tested organic food samples and even found uh, pesticides in those. So, and then we have the water supply. Um, I think few people realize how many dangerous things are in the water supply. So first of all, you have pharmaceuticals in there. You have pesticides from agricultural runoff. You have parasitic organisms like H. pylori. You, know, you have heavy metals like arsenic, chromium, and lead. Um, so, and I know I'm leaving some things out. Oh yeah, microplastics. Um, they, they are unable to find natural water sources anywhere in the world now that are not contaminated with microplastics. And we know that that's had a devastating effect on marine life. So, you know, really we're bombarded all the time and it's impossible to completely eliminate our exposure to these things in our modern world. And even people in the natural uh, cancer healing uh, space, I recently talked to someone who uh, is a clinician uh, for the Gerson Institute. And they were telling me that, and this was even predicted by Gerson himself, that it's taken longer to successfully detox from cancer conditions because the toxic burden in our society has increased to such a crazy level. So I think that in addition to minimizing your exposure uh, to these toxic substances that you also need to do ongoing detox. I mean, I don't think there's any way around it, you know? So like I do this on a daily basis and then intermittently I still have to do extra things. Like I have periodic times that I fast uh, or, uh, you know, use other types of procedures um, to keep myself, uh, you know, with a relatively low toxic burden. You know, I'm even doing this for my kids uh, every week. You know, one day I give them a bunch of prunes so they can, uh, you know, eliminate uh, toxins that they're accumulating. And it's so, you know, tragic to think about our children growing up in this kind of uh, a condition. And then when we add vaccines, I mean, vaccines are one of the most dangerous ways of delivering these toxins to our body because it is uh, basically going right through our major body's major barrier, the skin. And it's causing you know, physical trauma by giving the injection. And then these chemicals are going right into the internal part of our body, right? And in addition to all of the biological materials that meant that Judy mentioned, which by the way, also includes like genetic material, free genetic material, um, there's 
chemical preservatives like polysorbate 80, which um, increase the permeability of the blood-brain barrier so that uh, some of these other things in the vaccine can get into the central nervous system more easily. And then I think one of the biggest culprits is the aluminum hydroxide, which, uh, you know, is there, they, it's claimed that vaccines can't work without it. But essentially, the reason that they say that is because it's so toxic, it causes the immune system to respond really strongly, right? So the, if, if the public knew that that was the really the reason why it was necessary, I don't know that they'd be very excited about it. But it's uh, these aluminum, like, um, and they're nanoparticulates, and it's aluminum hydroxide. And this is, you know, the metals that we're talking about here are not something that our body is, is prepared or equipped to handle. Like our bodies uh, have all kinds of detoxification pathways in them to deal with free radicals and many other things that we would normally find in a natural environment. But many of these uh, heavy metals that have been uh, used, you know, in medicinally and also environmentally, they are results of like mining and technology related to the industrial revolution. So our body's just not really equipped to handle them. And, and that's why they're so uh, troublesome and cause so much uh, disease um, because we just, they're really hard to get rid of. Even with using various um, methods of detoxification, it's, it's the most difficult thing to get out of your body. So, so this is really, you know, combined with um, malnourishment and, or certain nutrient deficiencies and uh, psychological stress, which like everybody's experiencing now, and which has sort of an amplification effect to the toxicity. I mean, this is really the major causes of disease in our society. And it's not, these are things that are not being addressed at all by the mainstream medical system, which is why people are so, there's so much chronic illness. You know, people do not recover from illness and they don't expect to. And even, you know, as a doctor, I was never told that we can cure anything, you know, except for maybe bacterial infections. But, but when in my clinical experience, when any, ever someone's had a serious bacterial infection, we were not able to make any headway at all with antibiotics. It's only like a minor, uh, more of a nuisance kind of infection where you see that kind of dramatic result. And it makes you believe that it's really effective. But when it comes to serious illness, or if you look at the mortality related to uh, you know, infectious disease, mostly bacterial disease, uh, before and after and since antibiotics, you'll see that there's really been no substantive change. Mm. Judy, what do you know about this vaccine that they're cooking up? The the one that has three needles, or you know, what what's going on here? What are, what are they putting in? Going to put into us or well, try? Well, not into me, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I I know very little about it, other than that it is going to be a nanoparticle, a lot like Andy just described, which means now there's no longer a lock and key mechanism where it can only go into certain cells as viruses can only get into certain cells through certain receptors um, and and exosomes as well travel as as we've mentioned before. So now it's essentially a nanoparticle that is packaged the 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 genetic blueprint the the RNA of the virus, and you're going to deliver that by way of a needle um, while you cripple other parts of the immune system, and you're just going to inject that into every cell in the body and then express that in every cell of the body. It will, it is, a, you know, naked RNA as seen as a 
is a danger signal, a danger associated molecular pattern or, um, or a pathogen associated molecular pattern. Um, and, um, and you're going to, you know, drive a firestorm that's going to make your, you know, um, it look like, you know, a howitzer where you need a BB gun of an immune response. Um, and, Particularly for the people, this is this is what I keep um, saying. For pe- particularly with anybody um, who's already got a vaccine injury or uh, has had, um, you know, everyone on the schedule that is uh, it, the children and, and the doctors that have been forcing these, you know, dozens of shots before um, a child is a few years old, and and in recent and in recent uh, um, years, the elderly getting these flu vaccines and pre. NAR vaccines, as if putting a 23 antigens back microbial antigens with those aluminum uh, adjuvants in one arm and putting a live viral vaccine in another to cause um, somehow they don't meet in the middle in the body. So, you know, it's going to be a detonate switch no matter what happens. And and the first people who, who will die from that vaccine will be, you know, the heavily vaccinated. Everyone, you know, in, in some way is vaccinated injured unless you're like me and you're 62 and your mother didn't believe in these shots, thank God. Um, and, um, and we didn't get these things injected. That's the key. You don't inject the exposure. That's why regardless of what's in this shot, and that's why the mask is a problem. These viruses pass through wind cells, through water droplets. A natural exposure in a healthy immune system means you generate a natural immunity the way you would, the way you're, it's supposed to be um exposed to you so i i haven't spent a lot of time studying it mainly because um it raises my blood pressure to the level of you know we shouldn't even be thinking about injecting these forms of things and yet we're well, so it i i know this but we've got these these constant threats that you won't be able to get your driver's license renewed. You won't be able to travel anymore. You have to have a COVID passport. You're this gonna... is where we need to fight back, Marcy. We yeah. don't need a COVID passport. We right. need to be stamped. You can't that. You can't ask me my medical condition. You still can't ask if somebody has HIV. Mm-hmm. Uh, you still cannot ask which human retrovirus. And, and we know these are strongly associated with diseases. Um, so every step we go where we consent to the very next right, right being taken away from us is going to make the Correct. fight against the vaccines way more difficult. If we were to fight it now and Correct. just demand, everybody should stand outside of the grocery store and take off their mask, Correct. everybody. And Correct. if everybody did this, what I always say, what is demanded is what is supplied. You've got Correct. to make the demand. But if you just keep going along like a little right. obedient citizen, then it's like they're basically saying, well, they were okay with that. So they hit you with the next one. And it just right. keeps adding upon itself. And before you know it, our rights are just gone. I mean, I'm concerned about not being able to travel or getting stuck in places where you can't get back to your family because suddenly your passport's no good anymore. I mean, it's just getting so outlandish, but it's getting closer and closer to that reality. Well, that's why we had to stop months ago. That's why there couldn't have been better timing on plague of corruption coming out April 14th. People like Andy, you know, locking us in our house so we can talk on shows like this. That's why we spend that time right now. Say no, say no forever. You know, I I always say, you remember Nancy Reagan, say no to drugs. No, 
no more. You will not inject me, not again. You will not, you know, put 5G in my neighborhood. You, you know, we, we'll, we can take back those rights that we lost here in California, starting with SB 277, where we took away our right to go to school or our religious exemptions. And that's what we've been fighting for now. Um, in dozens of years, and that's the royal we, that's Dr. Sherry Tenpenny, that's that's people around the world trying to stop the rights from being taken away from us. Um, you know, Dr. Buttar, you know, the truth about cancer, all truth about vaccines, all of the people coming out, like you're saying, and educating people and ask them to look and say, hey, you know, I'm 62 years old, never got a vaccine. Why am I not dying? In the cases of why the anti-vaxxer movement, hey, if your vaccine works, you have a few of a choice. You can take whatever you want. You can't take that choice over my body, over my family from me. That's unconstitutional. You cannot tell me I cannot go to church without wearing and sing without wearing a mask. No, that you can't do that because there's no scientific evidence. And, and there's more to the contrary that says the mask causes damage. And they've admitted it themselves. So we we just have to stand back here right now and just take back our rights. And we did that this weekend and, and we went to church and no one will get sick and that empowers people we can also do it with our pocketbooks um no you know stop buying the spectrum stop buying the things turn off the tv go outside i go to the mom and pop grocery store who don't care if i come in without a mask somebody wants to make money and survive some people are out there realizing this is stupid um so i don't want to be in the in the local grocery store selling processed food loaded with glyphosate anyway i right. want to be at my farmer's market knowing my farmer like like dr zach bush says that's far more important. Your doctor, we can take back our communities. Same things with schools. Open up our churches and and go in there as teachers and have local um what you know the the congregation or parish the parishioners teach your children um they're your doctors they're your lawyers you're in your community you take your tax dollars back from the school they're not supplying medicine you do end of health care insurance. We get a $5,000 a year tax-free account for our families, and we can spend it on healthy food. We can spend it on supplements. We can spend it on chiropractors. We can spend it any way we want for our health care. And, and then everybody gets healthy again. This is why I've, I've called for a five-year moratorium on all vaccines um, for years, because if you stop all vaccines, then you're going to get the unvax vax study, and it's you're going to see what we saw in the movie, The People's Truth, Vax to the People's Truth that Polly Tomey um, and, and others made, and you're going to see who's healthier. And when people wake up and see a 45-year-old man who's never had a single um, antibiotic vaccine or anything else, and he's wonderfully healthy and how beautiful and intelligent these kids are, you know, why do you care if my child's vaccinated or, or has been shot? If, if, if your vaccine works, you can do what you want. And, and, and this is the point. If you want to wear a mask into a grocery store, go for it. But if you as a grocery store, um, you know, force me to wear a mask, um, then, then I won't shop there. And I don't. And, and, I, and I talk kindly and I, and I speak, um, you know, I, I usually don't even say 
um, you know, doctor or anything else, scientist, I just say, no, here, here's the fact of the matter. And, and, I, and I just show them the thing about, you can't ask me why I have this cough. I've had this cough since I was two years old and I will keep coughing. You won't take my temperature. You won't come in my house and, and, and we will, we will all go to work and, and somebody will pay us to teach their kids and somebody okay. will pay us to do medicine and, 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 and we can change the whole corrupt medical model and then trust our legislators, you know, get those out of office who are unconstitutional and trust, um, you know, um, our, our president to, to, you know, to, to reorganize, to um, close these corrupt organizations like the FDA. The FDA's job is to keep our food safe. I think it's pretty clear there's nothing safe about GMO or Roundup. In fact, it causes cancer. And yet the FDA approves these drugs at lightning speed, these opioids at lightning speed, um, and keeps allowing them to be given to our to our families. So do you think that there, either one of you, do you think that there is any government agency out there that's looking out for our well-being? I mean, honestly, is there anything? I Because I, I can't find one. And yeah. so then the question then becomes, who's controlling the government then? Andy, maybe you'd like to jump in there. And by the way, make sure that I ask Noah's question. I need, because he keeps texting me, he's got a question. And he's doing such a nice job recording. I want to make sure we ask his question. But anyway, how would you like to try and tackle that one, Andy? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I just want to say, I really love what you were just saying, Judy, because I also see this current situation as a major opportunity to change many big things in society, right? Like we see these hospitals around the country on the verge of bankruptcy. I say, let them all fall to the ground and let's rebuild a real healthcare system and real biomedical sciences that we can uh, really improve the health of our population in the future. But I don't think that um, having different politicians is going to make the difference because I, I feel the problem is system, systemic. And I don't think that the politicians are really in control at all, right? Because otherwise, why would we see the same policies um, going over time and just without any regard to term limits or political parties, right? Essentially, the most important policies we see putting out by the government are unchanged from one administration to the next. And they, they do try to create a false dichotomy of blue and red and uh, have a few hot button issues that they disagree about and make it seem like there's a real difference. But behind the scenes, everything that's important about how they're spending the money, what they're doing with the military, what they're doing with individual rights and privacy is the same, regardless of which politicians in office. And uh, you know, to me, this suggests that there is definitely a higher authority that is calling the shots and we see this in the current pandemic situation because the amount of coordination between all of the governments around the world is just too much of a coincidence to say that they just all arrived at the same decision. They, they all arrived at the same decision because they were instructed to arrive, arrive at that decision. And I think we don't have to get into deep conspiracy theory land in order to answer this question because we have all of these international organizations like the Council on Foreign Relations, the Trilateral Commission, the Bilderberg Group, the Tavistock Institute, et cetera, 
And all of these organizations have meetings, and many of them actually uh, they disclose to the public, or there are documents that you can get. You can see the who the attendees or the members of the organization are, and you see that it's essentially all of the people who are in all of these leadership positions across the governments of the world, and they're all coming together, uh, you know, to meet. And they don't highly publicize these meetings, right? They're all closed meetings, so they they totally control what information gets released to the public. But if you look in these documents, you can you can basically see that they've been planning a world government, uh, one world government for decades. Right, and many many people have have mentioned this uh, overtly. Uh, many presidents uh, in our country, uh, certainly Henry Kissinger has talked about it a lot. Right, Bill Gates has mentioned it. It's it's even on our written on our dollar bill. Right, uh, what is it? Novo Mundum um, Seclorum, a new world order, and that's what they're talking about: a one world government uh, with centralized control um, and a lot less. Uh, freedoms of the people, like tight, top-down, tight control, right? Just like it describes in the lockstep uh, section of the 2010 Rockefeller Institute um, uh, document, which which essentially lays out almost the entire plan for this current pandemic. So, so we're in a situation where we need to have like almost reorganize uh, society, and in my opinion. Uh, decentralized leadership is by far the way to go. Um, I have uh, uh, someone who, uh, James True, who has talked about uh, this model of bioregionalism, which I think is an excellent way to go. Like I'm not married to any specific thing. I think that this change has to come about somewhat organically. But but if we are involved in our local communities in, in smaller groups where we can all participate so that way we can actually know what's going on. We can exchange information with each other. We have to actually take responsibility for what's going on in our communities in our life and interact and become a part of the system that we can organize into like, you know, our local areas. We can have sort of regions, right? They could be smaller than states even. And then we can sort of remake our federal government into a, just a set of guiding principles like very similar to what the founding fathers really intended at first, which is to take the important principles of the constitution. And, and it doesn't have to be a long document. I mean, these can be elaborated like on, you know, like on a billboard or like on tablets, like the 10 commandments, so that it's plain and simple and that we can all say that we have these rights and, and no matter what decisions we're gonna make in our, re, in our bio region or in our local communities, uh, and we'll have complete freedom to do anything we want, that we're going to always um, ascribe to these universal principles, right, about individual freedoms, uh, freedom of speech, freedom of the press, right, because we know those things are integral in order to keep out the corrupting forces of central authority that's led us to this current predicament. And so that's, you know, I see a, a really, um, very hopeful that we can move toward that type of a society um, given this current situation. And all we really need is for people to do exactly what Judy has outlined, just to say, I'm gonna not going to follow this requirement that you put upon me because I have the God-given right to make my own decisions about how I'm going to deal with myself. And if I want to take a risk, I'm going to take a risk. And it doesn't matter what that is. It's my right to make that decision. So this is why, you know, ever since the beginning, I've never 
stayed in my home. I've never worn a mask and I've had consequences from that. And I've, I, I respect people, but I do not abide by social distancing. I do go to the farmer's market every week. And thankfully in my area, the farmer's market has stayed open. And there's a, a couple of people that I have relationships where there and they, you know, they, if you come there with no mask, they're going to give you something free those places because we're, wow, support, we're supporting each other. Well, no, no, like this is a, you know, this is one unique situation. I mean, most of the time I'm facing a lot of people giving me dirty looks and sometimes people saying things, but I'm, I'm very lucky that I haven't, you know, been uh, asked to not go anywhere yet. I, I know that I will at some point, but I, I mean, I, I like what you have with the card and I'll give you, Marcy, a link to a website that has a pre-made card like that, that people can download. And I think that is a very useful thing, sure. but, but I just hold my head high. I walk with confidence and um, I try to engage people socially. And I think that that kind of an attitude of the way of carrying yourself, of having a presence, it has an effect on people. You know, maybe the effect might be, let's not mess with that guy. Or maybe like what I'm really hoping for is the effect is, wow, that guy looks awfully comfortable walking around, not worried about anything. Maybe I'm worried about nothing. You know, maybe I don't need to be so worried about this. Maybe I should consider taking off my own mask. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what I'm, you know, trying to portray to people. And, and all we need is just a critical mass of people to simply do that. And the whole thing will instantly fall apart. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, you know, because there's a recipe to take control of a society into a dictatorial regime. And it's been written about, you know, by many dictators in history. And it is that you take freedoms away a little bit at a time. Mm -hmm. And that's what they've done so far. They've Although I think it's pretty, pretty big deal to force people to not come out of their homes. I mean, mm -hmm. you're taking away their basic freedom, but people just accepted it. And so then each additional step, then the masks, then it was easier, right? They, people accepted that. And now is contact tracing. And you're in a critical time in California right now, because you happen to be the, in the unlucky position of the state that is piloting the contact tracing policies. Uh, they're doing, doing it to you first. And if it's successful there, they're going to roll it out everywhere. So I think it's really critical that Californians right now make these decisions that they are not going to participate in this contact tracing. And if someone comes to your door, you're going to say, not open the door. And you're going to say, I, I am not cooperating with you. If you want to step outside and have a polite conversation, that would be fine. But then you're going to go back in and you're going to close the door and you're not going to submit to any testing whatsoever. You're just going to basically let them know that you're not going along. And if they go door to door, and that's what everyone says, they're going to go back to their office and they're going to say, what do we do? Right. And the whole thing is just going to fall right apart. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really, really the key. So Judy, um, do you also see this as a uh, controlling controllers, controlling the controllers or the way Andy was describing, how do you see this? The, the world set up, you know, yeah, how I absolutely see this is and, and here in California, as he said, it was it's the worst. No, you won't come to my house. I probably wouldn't even open the door. But certainly, as he says, keep them away from you. So they don't even bring a temperature thermostat near you um, to to gauge anything of that matter. And, and we have to actually have to 
teach people that, you know, no, this is my right. Shut the door. You have no right in my home or, but yeah, it's, it's, um, it's horrible from, from where we're sitting now, but that's why we say if everybody goes out right now, they haven't rolled this contact tracing out yet. And that's why like Andy, I haven't, nobody in my home um, or, or my friends have practiced this in any way. We've never shut our doors. We've never stopped driving our cars. And yes, usually we get dirty looks, but then people do see the the confidence and certainly at, at the um, events this weekend in Ramona, full churches and things. So you've got a whole town. And once you show people, hey, we're not sick, we're just fine. And it's been three or four weeks that I keep going there and we right. keep going out in public. So it, it, we have to stop it now before they get anywhere close to the. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I, I The question I was also asking is how you see the power structure. Do you see, uh, I saw you nodding when Andy yeah. was talking about, you know, do you see a structure above the structure, you know, that who's, who's controlling here? Yeah, this is, I mean, for, for us, it's it, it, the Newsom and the politics here and, and the, the, the Democrats clearly in California because they've been taking away our rights since 2015. And then who's above the Democrats and who's above the politicians? Are you seeing a, a, you know, a higher level of authority above that? Well, it, it's absolutely worldwide. I mean, mm-hmm. been going yeah. in in two thousand and eleven. You know, it was the blood supply of London that was contaminated. So London got together with the U.S., the Nature journals, the Science journals. It's a, it's a World Health. It's a it's a it's a large organization internationally, and and again, it's been going on for three or four decades. So it, at the CDC, for instance, in the vaccine world, the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, most of the vaccines are made somewhere else, and and so they get together and they they approve things, you know, and and without a single test and. And the doctors sit there and, and yeah, they're, they're wearing military gear. Our Centers for Disease Control is a quasi-military, you know, bioweapon population. And it's worldwide and it has been my entire, you know, 40-year career, at the first 22 of it at Fort Detrick. So. Do you think people are going to wake up to the truth about these people that are running things like Gates and Fauci? Are they going to... You know, as long as the media keeps portraying these people as our, quote, heroes, how are people going to ever reach, uh, you know, an understanding of what's going on? I mean, there's literally we can do the media is bought and paid for and as corrupt as these officials. So until we stop this direct to consumer advertising of drugs, until we take away this this censorship, which I understand President Trump started taking away the censorship. I mean, these these um, social networking, they're they're not simply carriers of a message. They become publishers once they start editing and censoring people like me. And that's there. There are people talking about this and and again so there there is at every level we need to take back our constitutional rights Absolutely, and, yeah. and, and just break it all down it's a great opportunity and it's yeah. not a whole lot of fun now and um we we do you know we are trying to be peaceable and and just keep showing up and and keep stepping out there um and, and i usually say in truth and love because you know it's it's why can't we have this conversation why yeah. are you 
yelling at me through that mask and um and why are you forcing my 86 year old mom west coast mom to 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 wear this mask to the point where she's now she's now sick um and and it had you know nothing to do with anything other than forcing her to go without oxygen for three hours in a bank where she couldn't get her banking done you mm-hmm. know uh, mm-hmm. and, and again, there's yeah. a real there's a real problem having conversations because people as when you're the messenger they blame you for bringing awareness to them and I always think to myself I'm not the one that you know did these things why are you why are you mad at me I'm just trying to tell you about it because if you have awareness about this then you're actually equipped to make a good decision but without that you know you're just following along um you know noah has a question no i don't suppose you want to come on and ask this yourself because i'm a little confused about the question do you want to come on noah and it doesn't have to be recorded so doug could edit this out but I i had a question about why the cdc put out a pdf that stated twice that the doctors could assume uh the deaths of covid and every time I show that to someone, they're seemingly okay with the wording of assume. And you look up the de- definition of assume, and it clearly states two words, without proof. So how do they, how do people not see that? And that really bothers me, um, because that means the numbers to me are inflated. So that's just my opinion, and I'll just back out right now. Well, Thanks, Noah, Noah. Noah, this is a, a major departure from the normal policy of how you fill out a death certificate. I, I and- heard about that. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, and they didn't just use that the word assume, they used the word suspicion. So if you suspect, right, COVID, then you're supposed to put it as the cause of death. So this, this is so obvious, just a, a method to uh, inflate the numbers, but they took an even further that they have, and I don't know if the CDC did this, but I think this might be a state-by-state policy, but I've, I saw a letter in New Jersey to this effect, and I've heard about the same process in other states and even in other countries where normally during a health crisis or a health emergency situation, right, which is, which is what's been declared, and that's the, the you know, official justification for taking away our First Amendment rights, they're supposed to send all of the cases of the public health, you know, uh, uh, all of the cases of people who died from whatever the crisis is to the coroner for autopsy because they need to get to the bottom of what's going on. Now, in this situation, they specifically instructed not to send any bodies for autopsies. So that is basically to hide the fact that they would find other causes of death. Because an autopsy, you'd be able to see, is there actually pathology of the body? Like, is the body damaged in such a way that they say is from this disease? Uh, Or is it simply that they had a pulmonary embolism or a heart attack or a stroke or some other problem, right? And, And so there have been some case series of autopsies, and those have revealed essentially that um, people died of different things for the most part. So, so this is just part of that public relations strategy to give the appearance of a lot of deaths from COVID when in fact they're just people dying of the same old things. Okay, great. All right. Well, what I'm taking for from this particular roundtable that we are at a point where we simply have to speak up and that not speaking up is just pretty much irresponsible would be the word I would use. I, I don't mean to sound judgmental, but this is not a time where we can just sit quietly because it's, 
the quieter we sit, the closer we march towards the very next freedom being stolen from us. And they're getting pretty serious. These freedoms that we're giving up are, are quite, quite serious. So I would like to encourage people to really try some of these strategies you're both suggesting. I think we have to keep being bold about the way we do things. Numbers help. When you try to do this on your own, they just kick you out. So you really need the numbers. This is where it gets challenging because there aren't very many numbers around where I live. You know, I, I wish we could all congeal, but we can't. Um, so I, I do feel, though, that this is the only way is to take our power back. And I really do believe that what's demanded is what is supplied. I, I always put that in my films, and I really believe that. So I, I say we just keep on. Do you, either one of you have any parting words you'd like to share before we, we leave here? No, that's just exactly what you said. This is so important and, and not in a judgmental way at all. Just please come out, listen, look around you, see what's really happening. Um, you know, forgive each other, you know, come out today, tomorrow. Don't get any more shots. Don't allow anything to be um, injected into you and, and don't allow, don't wear, don't do these policies, which are clearly just making everybody sick. Don't social distance, don't give away any more freedoms. And just, and, and, and in numbers, we had, it was so refreshing this weekend. We had 300 people, wow. you know, and in fact, it was, they were squunching everybody together because there were so many people in this hall, you know, and not only did nobody get sick, but people were happier. They were healthier. We were in the sunshine. We were talking. I mean, people said, I haven't felt this good in weeks. So people are going to get, I mean, you know, depression, the, the key cytokine, that in, that inflaming molecule is interleukin-6. And it's the heart of these disease processes, even with COVID. So they're not lying that COVID is IL-6, but it's the measures driving you to take this and not the infection. So I think these will just keep talking and I appreciate the time and the opportunity. It is an honor to meet you, Dr. Kaufman, and the more people we can get on panels. We just, with, you know, as, as Dr. Sherry Tenpenny said last week, we sat on several panels with, with Abdel Bigtree on his show. It just as many people as we can get um, to keep showing that this, you know, um, we, we can end this plague, um, uh, this particular plague of corruption and, 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 and really, I, I think the next book that we've titled that um, Ken Tech and Lively and I are writing is, is called Ending Plague. And, and it's dot, dot, a, a scholar's obligation in the age of corruption, because we can't end this until scholars like Andy step out and, and have the courage and, and find a way to communicate from our own vision in, in order to do that. And then we will usher in a, a, a world of health and wellness we haven't seen in decades in our in our world. Okay, thank you so much, Judy. And, and you, Andy? Yeah, well, Judy, also, it was really an honor to uh, be on this panel with you, and I appreciate you uh, participating. And I think, you know, this is one of the most uh, detailed scientific uh, talks that I've, I've been involved with, you know, other than my slideshow presentations. So I think this is a great opportunity for me to put, put a call out to all the scientists and physicians um, and related professionals out there who realize that something is not right here and we need to act. I want you to really do some deep thinking 
and um, soul searching because it's really time for you to come out and speak about this as well. And I want to invite anyone who's interested in that but doesn't know how to go about it or doesn't feel confident, uh, please reach out to me through my website and I'd be happy to help you through that process. Um, I want to you know, feature people on my uh, forum, on my platform. Um, I want to get as many people as possible um, together because the more doctors and scientists speak out publicly, you know that will go a long way to helping the general population, the general public, regular people who are scared now to start to open up to these ideas. And that's how we can stop this tyranny from progressing and we can reestablish a new um, era of excellent health um, in our country and in our, in our world. Well, both of you are very accessible, personable people, and it's such a pleasure to be able to interface with people like you because you're both warm and friendly and you send back texts and, you know, it's just such a nice connection to have with people like you. I can't tell you how refreshing it is for me on a personal level. And um, I also want to suggest if you're looking for another platform, Doug McKenty's show, The Shift is really good and he's recording us right now. And we love Doug, so that'd be another good one. But I just so appreciate that you're willing to be out there and talk. It, people sometimes are really hard to reach and very picky about who they'll talk to. And I, I love that you guys are just out there as much as you can, because I think you feel that the amount of exposure is going to reach somebody somewhere. So even if you don't have a huge market for one particular show, I think I'm guessing that you're feeling that it's still worth your time. And I'm so, so appreciative. So thank you to you both. I look forward to future discussions, things I'm sure are going to continue to unravel. There's going to be more to talk about, more to hammer out. So let's just keep on keeping on. And um, Doug and Noah, thanks so much for recording this for us today. And I'll, I'll sadly let you go. <laughs> and I just look forward to the next conversation. Thank you both so much. Thank you, Marcy. It's okay, you take good care. Okay. Well, all right, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed that fifth roundtable discussion between Drs. Mikevitz and Kaufman and hosted by Marcy Cravat of Pass Land Pictures. I wondered if these two would kind of get into it a bit about germ theory, as Mikevitz has spent her career as a virologist, and Kaufman doubts germ theory entirely, but it seemed they agreed across the board about the new coronavirus and the fact that it has not yet been properly isolated according to Koch's postulates. Dr. Mikevitz loves to talk science, but I thought overall the concepts remained accessible to the average viewer. The back and forth was refreshing, and it turned into a more political conversation in the second hour. I just want to take a second to thank Marcy Cravat for hosting and Drs. Judy Mikovitz and Andrew Kaufman for participating in this roundtable. One more shout out to Rod Rubin at Transparent Media Truth for putting the whole thing together. If you like what you saw today, make sure and check out TransparentMediaTruth.com or Transparent Media Truth on YouTube to catch all previous discussions. I have been a producer, editor, and MC of this episode. My name is Doug McKenty. And you can find my work at The Shift with Doug McKenty on YouTube or theshiftnow.com. Thanks again for listening. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Take care.